Welcome to the Abn Abn Podcast, episode 77, a podcast for IT professionals. Hi, I'm Al. I'm John. And I'm Jerry. And in this show, we have an in-depth talk about monitoring. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Yes, and we're here after audio difficulties with Jerry's again. So, um, yes, we're going to have a... We haven't recorded for a couple of weeks or whatever, but we on the Telegram group, which is getting actually quite active. I know we got like 40 people in there, so it's quite interesting. Um, yeah, we were talking about monitoring um, in there this week, and then John said he'd, he needs someone who would be ideal to come in and talk about monitoring. And then I thought of Lucy. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So with us, we have uh, a good friend of mine, Lucy. Uh, Lucy and I worked together a few years back and uh, worked on and off since then. But Lucy, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, like you say, I've worked with John for a number of years. Um, I, for your sins. <laughs> I've started off in um, Windows support for my sins and for most of the last 15 years, been working in enterprise management monitoring and for the last three years, I moved in, I've moved into a SOC, a SOC role where I've been looking after platforms for for the SOC and on a new project now for SOAR. Can I ask what SOAR is? Because I, I, I saw that on your LinkedIn. I wonder what it was. I don't know. I hadn't heard of this before. <laughs> Security, orchestration, automation and response. So effectively, if you imagine uh, when you have an incident on your network... Uh, say, for example, you've got an antivirus thing that triggers or um, somebody opens an email that they shouldn't have done. That can, you can integrate your various orchestration tooling in your network. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong at any point here, Lucy, please feel, feel free to shoot me down at any point. So um, so your tooling uh, raises an, an alarm of some form. Your SOAR technology picks that alarm up and will do some uh, some effectively the actions that your SOC engineer would normally perform. So, you know, logging into the box and seeing what's happening or having a look at the type of alarm that's come in, maybe have a look at some of the other traffic that's generated from that machine and then can either remediate it. So take it off the network or uh, force a particular action um, or just log a ticket for somebody, a, a real human to go away and look at. Is that, is that fair, Lucy? Yeah, yeah. It can it can also do things like um, if you want to go and have a look at um, reputations and things like that, it can go off and do all that for you to save some somebody having to do it. So it just speeds up the response. So there you go, Al. That's sore. Cool. Thank you. So as far as I can make out, it's the, the new hotness that all the socks are going after. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Lucy's, Lucy's leading the charge on that one. So... Uh, Proud to be working with Lucy on bits and pieces like that. Cool. So we were talking about different monitoring um, platforms and stuff inside our network or in in a Telegram group. I mean, I don't manage uh, this at work. I am kind of responsible. We we have an enterprise product, let's say, which we kind of use to manage our clients doing different things. We have got about... 2,000 endpoints monitored with that. So there, and then I think we've got like 15,000 elements we monitor on that. So that's my kind of, and I always kind of, monitoring is always the thing I've always kind of dealt with, not on the Linux side, but on more on the um, Windows side, uh, VMware and the networking side. 
So we've got a couple of questions I want to ask about the Linux stuff later. But I thought it'd be quite interesting to kind of have a discussion of why you'd want monitoring and all the things that come around that things really. So what what sorts of things? So in your experience, when when would you suggest monitoring something? Would it be everything, or how how would you go about sort of determining what needs to be monitored? I think probably the first question that you'd ask anybody who wants something says they want monitoring is that you would ask them what do you want to know because that is the hardest question for people to answer. There are products that are out there where you can set them up. And they can tell you if it sneezed. But do you really want to know? So it's it's things like, as an example, an exchange server. If you've got clusters and you've got seamless failover, one of the things that you really want to know is that it failed over. Because it, if you're using the clusters, it's seamless failover. People don't see it. That's the whole point of it. So you need to know that it's done it so that you can go and remediate the problem that caused it to fail over in the first place. And there are monitoring products that will tell you that, but only if you actually turn the alert on. So as an example, I've seen it where that particular alarm's not been turned on. It it came into the system, but it never actually raised an incident for people. So the exchange server had failed over perfectly well. It had done everything it was supposed to do. And it was only when it failed again and came back the other way that people went, why didn't we know about that? A lot of it is education of the people who are who are the ones who are going to respond to it. Because you might get a thousand alarms for Windows events covered. But of those, you may only deal with maybe four of them. So do you really want to know if your CPU is going to go over a particular threshold whilst the backups are going on you're not going to be really bothered because you know that it's the threat you know that it's breaching that threshold because of the backup so that's the kind of thing that you don't want to know about what you do want to know about is if you're breaching your disk space mm-hmm. and they might come in as the same as the same severity into an incident but have very different responses one you're just going to go don't care so if you don't care about it you shouldn't have it I mean, one one of the things that, um, in in terms of a web service, uh, things that I've been typically looking at over the last few years, sometimes you just need to know. Like, so the most important thing in a web service typically is the API. If the API API isn't available, then the whole product kind of fails. So you want to know if the API goes down. You don't necessarily want to know why the API goes down, but yeah. if it's down, then nothing's working. So what? So you want to be that's where you want to be woken up at three in the morning. And then if that goes down, then you start to look at the other um, things, which you might have monitoring for that, but you might not have alerting for that. Yeah, exactly. So so you might get an alert for, for something like that. The API is not responding. You might just get service down as your alarm. And when you come in and have a look at it, there might be some other monitoring that's already in there that's added data to the actual event if it's correlated so it might be that oh, i've not got a response from this it might be we'll try again in five minutes before we log a call so it tries again five minutes later then it says yeah there's something wrong because i've still can't get to it so then it'll go off and it might it might be configured to go and 
do a few other checks. It might go and check that IIS is up on that box or if it's your own web server. Uh, or there may be other system checks that it that it triggers because that alarm because that alarm has gone gone off. And a lot of that is people knowing what the products are and having a good idea of if something's gone wrong, what would you do? And how much of that can we do before we actually have to go and have a look at it? And it may be that, as an example, that an API has gone down and indicates the web page is down. You own that web page, so you just restart IIS. And it could do all of that before it even logs a call to you. And it might be that it's actually done everything, recovered it, and by the time you get the incident from the monitoring, it's just saying, yeah, this has happened and I've fixed it. So I guess then the important part really becomes not so much that the ticket was raised, but more, yes, the service was restarted. But if it, only, if it happens like once every 12 hours, is that a problem? Does it become a problem when it happens once every five minutes? Or is, is the fact that it happened in the first place a problem? Yeah. Well, with things like that, you can you can have, if you're doing a lot of that kind of thing, you would have correlation of events. So it would say, well, this has now happened. You know, I've, I've had this reset event three times in the last 12 hours. So we need to, there, there's something underlying and maybe a lower severity call gets raised just to do some more base level checks to see if there's something wrong elsewhere. And a lot of that depends on the teams that are working with it if that if you've got one team that runs IIS and looks after the servers as well for that example it's sometimes a lot easier for them to be able to see the whole thing if you've got disparate teams looking after different components it can be a bit more hard working to get all the things that you need together to into the into the monitoring because what might be important to the web content team who want to know that IAS is up and running, might not be as important to the Wintel team, but because of the way that the monitoring is configured out of the box, they can't get it. They can't get that alarm to that person that actually needs it. So it's edu- education and understanding what is important for each component. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, we've got a catalogue we have at work um where we tell our customers, this isn't saying this is what we're monitoring and this is what we're looking for. So that with the thresholds, it took a long time to get that document up and running. It's like a, I'd hate to think how many pages long it is, but it is literally, it is describing there if this happens. And I think the reason why you want to monitor stuff is so you don't stuff to go down. I mean, the two, well, the three classic things I have is one is um, disk space running down. because obviously you want to know when your disk's getting full, even on a data store in VMware or in your Windows boxes, or if certificates expire. Yes. That's, that's uh, the, and then Firefox will probably learn from that. <laughs> and we actually had one. <laughs> and also you've got to remember, you want to do it so like it, it, it starts warning, it was definitely with like certificate, it warns you like 90 days or whatever before, and then as it gets closer and closer, it keeps alerting and telling you, because we had it this week at work where certificate failed uh, or expired, but it wasn't because of us, it's because of the, the account people hadn't processed it so um yeah and then the other thing like me is like snapshots and vmware 
it we would get alert if it's been if a snapshot gets bigger than a gig or if it's been bigger than 24 hours so it's been snapshots been on a machine for 24 hours then we get alerted because they're all the major things which we have which we get the most the most calls from and that's what being proactive about stuff um not wait and then you can do the other things like where you can do the um the metric things so like where you're monitoring the cpu uses the memory uses the iops usage how many areas you're seeing on a nick or something on the fiber card because that's because those things are quite good because you can monitor you can monitor them and then if you see a problem you can then go and have a look and then you can see if someone's going on my my, my as you say, as Lucy was saying, like, oh, we're seeing that the the when the backups run, we're 90% CPU usage. And obviously you can then they're saying, Oh, you don't you might not notice the backup. And that your your customer saying, Well, our web applications at nine o'clock at night is 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 grinding to a halt between nine and ten or whatever. And then you can then obviously then say, Okay, we can have a look at our monitoring solution and then see so it to see why then you can you can see that your CPU is being used at ninety percent? Yeah, largely for from a monitoring point of view, probably the main thing that people need to consider is that when you get an alarm from a monitor, it is just telling you that there's something wrong to be looking at, and it's up to you to add the intelligence to it. I was actually at an event yesterday. This is a Dell Hero event, and they had some people in there from virtual. Um, Virtual. I've actually got their f- their freebie they gave me, which actually was rubbish. Which is actually um, a cable tie. <laughs> I got it. And it says virtual instruments on it, and they basically monitor. Apparently, they do things for banks and stuff like where they can't have zero down downtime on the databases or something. And they apparently they're they're using AI now to basically fix their own issues. Apparently, because they've got all these 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 points, data gathering data. Apparently, they haven't ever deleted something, their data, since they had them. That's, that seems highly suspicious to me, to be honest. Yes. <laughs> There's always machine learning in there somewhere. If it's not machine learning, it's blockchain. Yeah, that's what, see, that's what the guy said. I said, this is a second slide. He goes, yep, this is the latest um, thing. And an extremely complicated if statement. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I know that um, when Microsoft um, brought out some of their SCOM um, exchange management packs they had a lot of machine learning integrated into that an awful lot yeah the, well a lot of things you got to remember is i love i've done work with scum so much it's just i was guessing it's very very noisy very very noisy isn't it oh yeah yeah and they use this develop with all the things now with like the azure stuff with like the windows and servers and office 365 that's where they get all their intelligence from so they use what they got there to produce these management packs mm-hmm. I know that one one of the CSAs that works in enterprise management, he he kind of got a little bit fed up of the of the noise coming from all the management packs, and in the end, he put an override pack in that just turned everything off. Yeah, we've had people do that as well, and and just <laughs> just enabled the things that we knew from. And it's amazing how many you can get rid of. You do just, you know, it might just be six or seven monitors out of the entire management pack that you actually enable. And like the one where a node's fallen over and it's seamlessly moved, that that one gets turned back on because people have gone through it. Because one of the assumptions that that some people make is when you do put a management pack in or 
you know, monitoring solution that comes with some pre-configured stuff is that the pre-configured stuff is the absolute minimum that you need um, to ensure that you've got a working service. And quite often that isn't mm. the case. What software is this for, this uh, management pack? For the Microsoft System Center stuff, it was they mostly did Windows Server-based applications. The vend- some vendors brought their own in. Um, but we've worked with other vendors that have allowed us to do proper networking, monitoring and things like that. Is that um, like the built-ins? Is it Perfmon or not Perfmon? Uh, some, something like that for Windows, isn't it? Yeah. So, so System Center Operations Manager is basically a um, it clog, it basically goes off to the server and it pulls back things like the event viewers and the, as you say from like Perfmon and stuff and like things, and it basically just puts it in it alerts on certain things so it knows what to look for and it brings it all back to. So basically, you have an agent on the machine um, on every single device you're monitoring and that thing that uh, scum goes along picks up um, I call it it scum because it's really annoying is that system centre operations manager yeah Yeah. it's it's basically part it's basically uh, Microsoft's um, uh, monitoring tool it's part of their SCCM so that's their configuration management tool yeah and they've kind of like in the Azure platform it's Azure monitor Yes, yeah. the old OMS. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm I'm about to do battle with that. I've I've installed it on a node, um, but that's about as far as I've got with it. <laughs> well, you know who to go and pester now to find out more about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that we did find with with um, Microsoft though was that they were they were hopelessly bad at monitoring other other OSs. Yes. Mm. Which brings up the the thing that came up in the Telegram chat was uh, was one of our one of our erstwhile companions on there said made some question about you know how he's got a collection of um, of boxes and you know what what should he use to monitor those and they're all Linux boxes as we both work for a solutions integrator the, a large proportion of the boxes that we work with are Windows boxes did you have to monitor many Linux boxes and and what would you use what what have you used for that in the past if you can talk about them Lucy. Probably the most the the one that's most often been used in my experience is what was Computer Associates OIM. It's had about seventeen different names. So depending on at what stage you've ever worked with it, it's NSM, TNG, NISM, depending on which version you've used of it. OIM I think is the latest incarnation that is still being used by us. And that one allowed us to install agents on the Linux OSs. And then from there we had, they were effectively HTML type scripts, that files that we just loaded onto them. And they brought back, in a similar way to SCOM, just brought back the, the data into the database and then it was processed from there. The other one that has not been used so much, but is being used a lot more now I believe is Zabbix that has one advantage I've only used it for one account and it was very basic monitoring it was more or less server up server down disk space and snapshot type things that was more or less all that was monitored but the one thing that I like about that is that it's all script based so you just basically 
put a script in there and say, right, that's what I want to monitor. And you tend to get better quality because you, you're monitoring exactly what you want and you're not getting any of the bloat that you get with some of the other proprietary stuff. That came up on our Telegram group, the Sabex, didn't it? Mm. So I was monitoring my network at home and um, my servers with a, a product, a German product called PRTG, which is a, is, is a Windows-based box, um, which basically it uses things like SNMP to gather data uh, from like a Linux box or a um, WMI for uh, window boxes. Um, but one of my problems I have is what I'm trying to, because I basically just put a new um, server in at home. I re- retired my old one and put a new one in. And I basically get emails. Um, so I basically do things like doing R thinking, like backing up my VPS back home, doing things like other backups with like web, for my web servers, backing up the uh, databases and everything. But obviously what I'm doing at the moment is just basically just having a cron job, which basically then when it finishes, it basically, when the cron job finishes, it basically just emails me. So I get daily, I get about 10 emails come into my box saying, yes, everything's happened. But that obviously I don't really look at them because it's because it's one of the things it's like it's, Lucy was saying is it is you just can't see it because there's too much going on um it's too busy so um i want to look at now i replace myself i want to basically start looking at what product i could use to do this so basically trying to build a dashboard kind of thing um so that i think the way we should i think i was doing think one was saying it was Stuart saying in the, in, in the telegram group was that um Instead of writing it to an email or sending it to an email, the output of the cron job, write that to a file and then have the uh, Sabex come along and look for that text file and then look inside that text file and then decide what to do with it regarding um, what's inside that text file. So to be fair, I've done something very similar with some of the things that I run at home. So I still have the cron job and I, what I tend to do is I write the output of the command to a text file and then I check the exit cut status of the task. So if the exit status is anything other than zero, which means it's finished successfully, yeah. I'll then email the text file. But if it errors, if it ends with an exit code of zero, yeah. I just leave it. Now, the one downside to doing that is that you don't get a notification to say the thing finished. You just get notifications on failures because the other thing as well is that if what happens if that cron job just doesn't start or anything or it gets stuck halfway through the job and it doesn't ever finish there's probably ways of doing that i'm not sure if i can think of them right now but if it's right into a log file you could you could just have a something that monitors the date and time of date and time stamp of the log file yeah and then if yes because i was thinking if it like monitors it it could say oh yeah it's successful then yeah it keeps green but if it hasn't if it then checks tomorrow and it goes oh today's date hasn't changed since yesterday something must be up kind of thing because the way i was looking at it's like even trying to write some sort of script which basically pick my email up and then looked at the text in the pop and i was like hang on a minute why don't we just do it through the text file kind of thing i was like over engineering it you over engineer things one of the oldest um, sort of industry standard tools in Linux was uh, called Nagios. It's got a bit of a bad name now because it's a bit long in the tooth and it's not um, not really relevant to the sort of current way that systems are used. But it had a quite a good model for um, the checks. So basically you could write a check in any any language that you wanted. But the, the main thing was that 
it 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 um was very dependent on the exit code as john was saying so if a check was uh, okay it, had, it would have a status of either okay uh, i think okay warning critical or unknown and if it was okay the exit code was zero if it was um a warning so if there's something had hit a warning threshold the exit code would be one and if if it was critical it would be two and if it was unknown i think it would it would be that the check didn't work so there was no exit code so you can apply you you could possibly apply that kind of way of looking at things to whatever monitoring system really it's quite a good way of knowing if there was something up and if there was something up what what the severity of it was unfortunately as i said i think it's fallen fallen out of favor a bit in terms in favor of other kind of uh, other monitoring tools but i think it's quite a good way of doing things the other thing that i've used in the past is a tool called monit m-o-n-i-t monit moving the scale away from having a sort of a central management server and something like that if you've got if you've got a few different disparate sort of disconnected machines that the only thing that they've got in relation to each other is the fact that you're managing them what you can do is use monit to monitor things like disk space cpu usage you know does a file exist is a service running stuff like that and that will just email you there's a web interface for it as well so i've used that on a couple of boxes in the past the only time I've come across that was um, it, it was stopping a box from rebooting. You know, you tell you tell it to reboot, and it would uh, somehow get in the way of that. <laughs> that doesn't help, does it? But so I've used it for disk space running out, and particularly when you the only thing that you know you've got access to on that box is email. It's quite useful. So if it's a very highly controlled machine, you don't want it even to be able to respond to SNMP or something like that then, you know, you can do stuff with that. The other thing that Monit will do is if you want to pay for a Monit, so there's a, a service that you can run as well called mmonit, so m slash Monit, and that will then talk to the HTTP interface that you can run on Monit. So that's quite a useful little tool. So it's kind of like, whereas uh, Nagios and Zabbix and stuff like that kind of rely on this central management server, Monit and mmonit, give you the other way around so it's it's entirely host driven so that's quite quite useful i found and the good thing about um that sabix thing i have definitely one going thing you can um you're gonna is it grafan g-r-a-f-a-n-a grafana grafana you can basically pull the data from um sabix and push it into this so you can do your nice graphs and everything yeah, so Grafana is mainly uh, it's mainly a web front end, but um, you basically give it a data source. Um, so that can be Zabbix or other other things. Uh, I think I've used InfluxDB in the past. Graphite is another one, uh, and and these are all time series databases for like uh, basically collecting metrics, and then you you point Grafana at them to dis- uh, to display those metrics because it's got various ways of um, taking the metrics and graphing them, uh, either creating a, a graph, uh, like a line graph of um, metrics over time or whether something's up or down or uh, that that sort of thing. Yeah, so it's really good. Um, I don't know if you guys listen to the uh, plugging a podcast here. No podcast is um, the, uh, the self-hosted show. 
I haven't yet, no. It's one of the things that's on my to-do list. But. Yeah, it's really good. I am speaking to a guy on there, um, Alex. He's from Nashville, from the UK. He's actually moved over to America now. He was. I've been talking to him because about Snubber Sif, and he's been talking about Docker. So I've been getting quite into a Docker, and he's basically shown me this. Um, so this new home server I've got, it's got a UPS in it, which I was donated, and I basically configured it up to the UPS uh, using Serial, um, bypassing it via uh, into my VM and I can basically pull data from that and then put it into that Grafana thing and then from Grafana you can um, pull nice and lovely graphs for it as well so like it tells you, you it works out the um, how much it's costing you a month to run and how much it costs it in years so it's quite interesting I'll put a link in the show notes to those two sounds quite scary I, I don't let my wife get anything, anywhere near that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's probably worth um, mentioning that, um, like, so one aspect of monitoring is collecting metrics and storing metrics. So, for instance, if you if you get a call that your web API is down, that's great, and you, you get woken up and everything. But then you 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 want somewhere to log on and find out why that that might have happened, uh, and if you've got uh, something that's collecting those metrics then you can go and look at them and see disk space is, is, is up and it's gone over a threshold, but you can see when it went up, uh, maybe, or, or you can see CPU usage spikes at a certain point, or uh, you had uh, more 500 errors over a certain time from your, your web app. And all that sort of stuff is, is useful for diagnosing stuff after the fact, uh, but you, you may not want to be alerted on it um, or, you know, woken up or whatever. But it's useful to have that information there for when when you come to troubleshoot. Certainly in the open source kind of tools that I've looked at in the past, um, you know, so the elk stacks and stuff like that, you tend to get like a combination of point in time references and, and sort of lifetime references. I, obviously, I don't tend to do much with the Windows side of stuff. Lucy, what, what sort of stuff is there in, in the products you've used that will, will do that? Or do they all just kind of implicitly do that? Well, no, no, they don't really. Any, there are some. If you've got a fairly sophisticated management pack or you know monitoring setup, it will send that those kind of details into the system so that you can you can generate the reports from it. But I was just thinking when when I work quite heavily with System Center, I did a Microsoft statistics and analytics course, and I remember thinking at the end of it that really on the back of any alarm that we raise there was a bunch of processes that should be should be fired off immediately that that alarm gets triggered to do those analytics you know and generate generate some very specific analytics for each type of thing so like like a web page going down it it goes off and has a script that it that it fires off and comes back with uh, disk space is this cpu is this this service has gone down that should be up and things like that. And it kind of made me lead to the conclusion that we had monitoring generally all wrong, that we should have just been using an alarm being raised as the start of looking at what was wrong, you know, and it it should just be a, a trigger for going, doing a load of let's go and find out what we can about this at a point in at this point in time because like I said, quite often it can be fixed before you know it can be a transient thing that's fixed before you even get logged in 
I mean, John, you'll know how long it can take to get logged into some systems. <laughs> so, you know. Yes. This bastion host to that bastion host to that bastion host to that bastion host. And then you're in. If you're lucky. And then you can't log into the box you wanted to get to in the first place. Yes, exactly. So you know exactly what I mean. And by the time you've done all of that, whatever was wrong has gone away. And with it going away, you've got nothing to refer to as well so that mm. that was why my you know thinking about things like that you get an event you have a set of a set of diagnostics that get fired off straight away and then you've got on the server when you're ready to look at it this is what's happened and for future for future events if you get it again then you've got something and you've got an audit trail of when it happened as well and ironically, I mean, that probably links back into the work that you're now doing with the source stuff, mm. because actually the, the sort of stuff that you're talking about, you know, an incident comes in, whether that's a, a security incident or even, you know, like you said, a, you know, process thing, you know, a lot of these automation tools. So the other one that, that I, we tend to see is, so you've got SOAR as one kind of collection of to- terminology. The other one's RPC. Um, no, not RPC, RPA, uh, robotic process automation. Um, you know, these two things, they're basically designed to respond to an incident, what, whatever kind of incident that is, and then do something with it. Mm-hmm. The, the response to any of these incidents, like you said, could be go away and ask for a, collection of data for a period of time whether that's you know every five minutes every 10 minutes or whatever and use that to drive your monitoring going forwards and it and it may be something as simple as we fire off the diagnostics we don't do anything because whatever it is has recovered it happens again an hour later you do the same again but then if it happens on the third time within three hours that's when you say there's something very wrong here whether or not it recovers we raise an alarm for somebody to get out of bed and sort it out. I mean, looking at things from the other side of things, quite often when I was a firewall engineer, the typical thing that would happen as soon as you have an incident is sort of all your service management jumping up and down, reboot the firewall, reboot the firewall. When actually, the moment you hit that reset button, you lose any sort of diagnostic information. You've got no chance of getting anything back at that point. There are so many instances where where service managers need to sit on their hands for a little bit and give the engineers time to to sort things out because because that that audit trail is so important and they they just have a happy knack of ruining it does this come uh, is it strikes me in that situation that it'd be important that you're shipping your logs uh, away from the firewall so if you if you reboot in the firewall fine if it brings the service back up but if the logs are shipped to a, a, a a box somewhere else so that you can then uh, forensically uh, diagnose what might have been wrong with the firewall, then that would be useful. So frustratingly, many of the firewall products that are out there, at least the ones that I've worked with anyway, if you picked up the phone to a vendor to say, you know, my firewall's just gone down, um, they'll get you to run a load of commands and that will pull information out of like your various state tables and various files that are on the machine in your temp directory and stuff like that. Or they'll pull out logs from the system, specific log entries, or they'll, they'll need what was the counter in this part of the database at that point that is not, is, is, is effectively wiped on the reboot. So whilst rebooting the box may solve the problem, a lot of the critical information that the vendor needs is actually only on that box at the point at which you have that that service issue. 
but you can't ship them continuously ship them somewhere else for instance no because the, the so you might be looking at stuff like some of the boxes you're working on are classed as telco grade gear and they're sort of carrying many hundreds of of gigs a second or so not particularly the hundreds of gigs per second at the time when I was working on them, but you know, they might've been carrying tens of gigs a sec a second. And at that point you can't be also shipping to a separate management box, all of the traffic at the same time. I mean, it's hard enough if you, if, so one of the things that we found with some of our boxes was that if you were even just shipping all of your connection logs, so just packets come in, that doesn't match a previous connection, whether you accept it or drop it, even just shipping that information to a log server was enough to kill a log server in some cases. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been doing a POC recently where we've shipped a load of logs into a Linux box and it absolutely floored it because there was that much. It, it was only taking seven days of proxy data and it just absolutely killed it because there was that much going through it. And I think for a seven-day period, it had generated something like 80,000 log files. The other thing as well, if you're working on a cloud product, so most of the cloud environments don't charge you on your – it's one of the directions. Is it ingress traffic? Yeah. They don't charge you on your ingress traffic, just on your egress traffic. But that will include, so say, for example, you're using uh, AWS or Azure and you want it to send out a message every time. Um, so you, you want to poll um, the API system to say, you know, send me your logs. You typically get hammered on pulling out the logs from the cloud platforms. If Say, for, so, say for example, we've you, you've got a, an external Elk stack that you want to pull data in from multiple regions or you are doing multi-cloud, so you're working on both AWS and Azure, and you want to pull all the logs into one common place, you actually get hammered on your charging for pulling all those logs in more so than you would if you were to just use the native, which is part of the reason why they do it. That's what they call v uh, vendor lock-in. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, you could keep your logs in S3 and just query your S3 logs in that case. Mm. I mean, so Microsoft's recently announced a, a thing called Sentinel, which is um, their sort of first step towards running a SIEM, uh, um security incident and event management product. Okay. And it looks really good, but it'll only keep something like three weeks worth of logs. Well, some of the industries that, I mean, if you're looking at financial institutions, they have to keep records for, I think it's something like seven or 10 years. You know, if you start looking at government accounts, they're looking at, you know, in some cases, 15 years worth of logs that they have to be retained for. In the case of financial institutions, I would argue that they can afford it. <laughs> but, but there we go. Well, yeah, but I mean, one of the problems that, that a lot of these institutions have got is that they're in a kind of a race to the bottom for pricing. They're having to maximize investor returns. They're having to maximize the amount of um, service they get for a fee. You know, when you start looking at solutions integrators or even partners working with them, they're basically saying, look, you know, we've got, we've got X amount of money to spend on security. And it's not just financial institution. I mean, I, I don't deal with the financial side of things. I was being slightly facetious. <laughs> 
Apologies. <laughs> I mean, uh, just uh, from the website, uh, Prometheus, uh, which is a time series database, which is basically uh, is built to collect these metrics, is I think it's pretty much optimized for keeping um, events for like a day. Because uh, if some, if you get an incident, you want to know what happened yesterday or it might not be a day, it might be like a, a few days or a week. But um, if you want the sort of fine grain stuff, you, you need to know what happened in the last day or so for an incident. Uh, and then you don't really need it after that. Or you can take advantage of cloud storage services where you can keep the data cheaper as long as you don't want to access it that often and that kind of thing so i think there's there's ways around it maybe it's probably an unsolved problem <laughs> i mean the other thing as well that you need to be quite careful with with monitoring solutions is actually where you're receiving your sources from so one of the things that i've heard as sort of anecdotal stuff is that when um when you are when you've got somebody that's particularly malicious trying to exploit your network, if they know where your monitoring solution is, what they can actually do is flood the connections to the monitoring solution or send valid data to the monitoring solution such that it actually can't process all the data at the same time. So you actually can, you can prevent your monitoring solution from functioning properly by effectively denial of servicing your monitoring solution. So spam your monitoring system and then they get in and do the, the nasty stuff. <laughs> so you can't tell what they did. Uh, not that I am endorsing that behavior. <laughs> another another example of the way that you can use monitoring to show that things are working the way that they should is we had one particular account where we had um, the SCCM database, which is the, the updates, applications and Windows updates solution from Microsoft that we had one database in this country, one database offshore. And I remember we got absolutely riled by the customer because they kept saying that they had problems with the network between the two sites because there was a problem with the database, transferring the data between the two. And every time I looked at it, it was like, I can't see any of this. And the, the SQL servers just sat there quite happily. Sent, you know, resources are quite happy. And it's like if it, if there was a problem, that would be screaming at us. And uh, eventually we worked out what was going on. The customer was doing something which was taking up the bandwidth. And because the bandwidth was compromised, the database was trying to replicate. And it was just constantly resending the same transaction and couldn't get it through because the bandwidth had been taken up by something the customer was doing and it it took us maybe a week to convince them that it was their problem <laughs> that they needed to do something about it and eventually they, they, they realised oh yeah it is us but we'd had to go to the granular level of actually showing them the transaction IDs of the database to show that the same transaction ID was trying to get pushed across in the replication and that it wasn't that we were flooding the database with with data it was just this one transaction couldn't get across because there wasn't the bandwidth for it and that was a really good example of where you need the where you need the history putting into you know where you need to be able to pull that data into a product because you can see that and use that as your springboard to go and look 
at a deeper level, which is what we did um, to prove that that wasn't a problem of our making. It's always the thing you, you, to let someone know that it's actually their fault. You have to go to the, like, give them raw data, give them the, that this is actually, <laughs> this proves it, you know. It's not just a, a hunch or anything. We can actually prove that it was, and here's the data to show it. You feel kind of vindicated for your position on it when you, when yeah. you look, it wasn't us. I might have been in that position a few times. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we've had a, a really good conversation about, about monitoring stuff. Is there is there anything that anyone thinks we've missed in sort of covering this lot? Um, I'm just having a look at my list of the things I wrote in the Trello about it um we don't know about what why monitor what to monitor baselining the environment so lurking at what the normal is and then defining thresholds and then how to alert really i'm guessing if there's a problem i've just got there alerting by email sms um and i'm guessing a lot of people do now so get alerted into the slack groups don't they i've seen that kind of thing with developers and stuff yeah i'm still not sure about that um my slack's not reliable enough to notify me (laughs) I mean, monitoring as a way of uh, alert, alerting when something's wrong, but often in, in again, coming back to the web thing, because that's where the main, the main area that I work, uh, in a, if you're working in a kind of continuous integration way, the developer will often program in a metrics endpoint to their, to their application. So we talked about REST APIs before. So you have your like the URL of your app slash metrics, uh, and then the your the monitoring system can poll that metrics endpoint. So you can deploy your app and then pull metrics from the app. Uh, and if you're doing deploying on a, a regular basis, as a lot of places do, then you, you monitor as a, as a kind of just to see how the app is behaving, or if it's a microservice or something like that if you do make a change then you can go straight to the metrics your prometheus instance or whatever uh, and see you you might see how a change affected the metrics that are coming out of your app and you can define the metrics in the app as a developer so it, you might not be coming to it as a from a kind of sysadmin or an ops um way of just you know why why isn't the server working or you might you might actually be putting those metrics in there and then be really interested as a developer in what those metrics are telling you because you're getting data from somewhere else and your app's processing that data and you want to see how it's behaving. So monitoring can be a, quite a, a kind of integrated into app development in that way and, and, and you know, pulling real-time data from stuff and you know even to the point of displaying that to the general public you know i think i think it's it's quite a it's quite important <laughs> in daily life really for instance for uh, someone who isn't an it person you know how many tweet how many people looked at your tw- your tweet or your instagram post maybe that data comes directly from the api and is presented to you as a user just to give an example, the number of likes of, that your latest Instagram post got, for instance, that's a form of monitoring. Mm. And, it, and, and it comes to you in the same way that the things that we've been talking about in, in this latest episode do. So one other thing that 
came up in the Telegram group was um, from Stuart, I seem to remember, who mentioned that he doesn't really like a lot of the sort of tools that we're talking about at the moment. It's not necessarily that he doesn't, he doesn't think they're necessarily bad, but the thing that he says that he, they are missing on is that a lot of the tools that he's working on these days um, are very flexible. So they'll scale out and scale up, scale down as and when they need. So an instance might only be open for five minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour or something like that. And then it's gone again. And so he uses some other tools to kind of collect data about, uh, about that monitoring. Um, and I can't remember offhand which tool it was. Do either of, does any of you know what? Was he, was he talking about Prometheus? I think he might be actually. And I think he was talking about service discovery uh, and the yes. way Prometheus uh, like hooks into that. So uh, service discovery, um, I don't, I haven't really played with it too much myself, but it's, it's basically you can get a load, something scales up, you get a load of containers pushing metrics into something. Uh, and then those metrics, so that you have to know that those, those metrics are coming in. And then when the, the, when the thing scales down again, you have to know that those metrics aren't coming in anymore. Uh, and you have to have a sensible way of displaying what's coming in, even though a load of stuff has just appeared and gone away again. I think that was the, the main gist of what he, was talk, what he was talking about. I think Prometheus handles that quite well, but it's, uh, I think the way, the way that I see Prometheus is it is a Unix like tool. It does one thing. It does one thing very well. And, it integrates with a load of other tools, right? And I, yeah, I don't know this. Maybe, maybe Stuart can comment on this. Prometheus will integrate with a service discovery tool, like I think he mentioned console. Yes, and it will say there's there's a load of metrics come in, uh, and here's here's the metrics presented to in a way that Prometheus understands, and can then go on to something like Grafana, uh, and then can plug into something like alert manager which is another uh, discrete tool that is part of prometheus and um, which can alert you on, on 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 this and that something like prometheus which is a quite a modern tool is something that does that well whereas older tools like for instance nagios will just they just won't do that at all uh, something like nagios you'd have to define each host and and then define that this thing is running on that host to collect the metrics or to make an alert or, or whatever. Yeah, I think there's only a few tools that will do what the what the sort of modern, um, certainly in the, on the web side of things, will handle, and the older tools won't. Fair enough, then. Going back to that Stuart guy in the Telegram, he's very, very knowledgeable. He's, he's, he's very good. Someone was asking about uh, VLANing, and he kind of did a really good description of it, better than what I could do um, in a in a text message in a in a Telegram group. So yeah, thanks, Stuart. You really. I mean, I think he's coming to Odd Camp as well. Yeah, he's he's just confirmed today. So, um, anyone got anything to say? I think yeah, thanks, Lucy, for coming on. It sounds really interesting. Um, what you do? I think that we might in the past we've done the kind of done done, kind of done the same sort of thing. So it's interesting. Well, it's been good. Thank you very much for having me. No, it's good. So I've got uh, a couple of things that I want to mention before we start doing our, our normal wrap-up, aside from, you know, again, thanking Lucy because she's been awesome. Um, so I recently attended a Wireshark webinar. I'll have to dig out the details and stick them in the show notes, but it was a 
sort of 45 minute long conversation from the author of one of the books on Wireshark. And she went through some uh, tips and tricks on how to configure Wireshark to do. So one thing that I didn't realize you can do with Wireshark is it actually tell, actually tell you how long uh, things like DNS queries take to um to do a lookup uh, or how long an http session's open for you can also track the actual session ids and stuff like that in in http requests i have to dig out the link i'm pretty sure that the lady that created the uh, the webinar uh, actually said that we can share the recording of it because it was to try and promote another course that she was running uh, in london but uh, i'll have a, I'll have a check on that so I'll either update the show notes saying this is the link to the video or I'll update the show notes saying, unfortunately, we're not allowed to share this. But uh, either way, we'll, we should should be getting further with that one. The other thing that I want to mention is that our good friends over at the Iron Sysadmin podcast actually put me in touch with the author of a paper that I read a little while ago on time-based security. And he's actually contacted me, the author's contacted me uh, and sent me a copy of his latest book, which is on uh, analog network security. Uh, and again, I'll stick the details of that in the show notes because I'm reading at the moment and it's really fascinating. So I wrote a brief summary of time-based security on my blog a couple of weeks back, and I'm reading through the analog network security book because it basically takes that that concept of time-based security and massively expands it. So it's a really good book, and I would strongly recommend it. Well, getting it in the UK is a bit expensive. I wanted to mention that a podcast that kind of wrapped up a few years ago is back uh, it's called The Pod Delusion. Uh, I believe one of the people involved with that was on, uh, came to Old Camp in 2015, no, 2016 maybe, Liz Lutgendorf. The guy, that the main host is uh, James O'Malley. Uh, and I think they were both there. Uh, that Although that was the Old Camp that I was sadly uh, cut short for me and I had to leave uh, kind of on the morning of the Saturday. So I, I didn't get to meet them, but... Um, but yeah, I, I recommend listening to it if you're interested in, um, it, it's a little bit political, uh, it's a little bit, um, it's just interesting, it's a, a podcast about interesting things is the, the, the tagline, so give it a listen, The Pod Delusion, I think it's poddelusion.co.uk. Yeah, sounds really good. Uh, it's, and it's weekly as well, so there's quite, obviously quite a lot of work goes into it to do it, to put it out weekly. Do you have another podcast you wanted to promote, John? Yeah, so uh, I've recently been listening to a podcast called "The Coolest Nerds in the Room." That's obviously us. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> I'd like to. I'd like to agree with you, but I've listened to their podcast, and frankly, they're a lot cooler than we are. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, guys. I've met you guys. I've been out. I've been social with you guys. I've, I've got to say, these guys sound much cooler. So yeah, it's impossible. Uh, it's uh, it's a guy who's uh, a site reliability reliability engineer, an SRE, um, and a lady who is an an infosec professional it's a really good podcast it's not so much talking about technology it's talking more about how to be an effective engineer without kind of burning out and stuff like that so it's quite cool from that side of things it's also talking about kind of how to drive your career forwards and stuff like that so but it's just two really genuine sounding people uh and it just it's really good podcast to listen to cool do you listen to any podcasts, Lucy, aside from, obviously from ours? Uh, you, any, any that you'd recommend? Not at the moment. As you know, I have quite a hectic outside of work life. An article I picked up, it's not IT related in any way, really, but only from a diversity and inclusion point of view, is the, a, a school in Oldham that's teaching all the kids in their school sign language because they've got a deaf pupil. 
which I That's think fantastic. is an absolutely fantastic thing. So the, the school that my kids go to uh, have got uh, it's at least one autistic child, possibly two or three, and they quite frequently will do sort of fundraisers and stuff. But I don't think they uh, to to support charities that support autistic children. But I don't. I know that um, like in the early years at the school. They will teach them basic sign language, but I don't think they've gone to the extent of teaching the whole school sign language. So that's that's really awesome. There's another one podcast here, which is not related to anything tech, but it's quite good. I went to my doctor's about some other things, and he recommended a, a podcast about depression and what actually causes it, and is actually antidepressants working? And it's a, it's 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 two UK guys, which is quite good because most podcasts you listen to American, and it's like. Do I really trust this? But this guy is a GP and he gets a guest. And so I'll put a link in the show notes for that. I would recommend everyone listen to that, even if you don't suffer from mental health or anything. It's just good because it kind of puts everything into concept. And what's that podcast called? Um, I can't remember what it is. Top of my head. But yeah, no, it's really good. He's got, he's got, I'm reading an audio. I'm listening to an audio book of it at the moment. So he only was on it for an hour. But um, the actual podcast, um, the the book I'm actually reading or listening to as we speak, it's called The Lost Connections. I'll find the link and put it in show notes. But it's really good. It is good. And it's only an hour. Or it's actually two hours long, two episodes. But it's just it going to Docs and actually said, like, do you listen to podcasts? I go, yes, I do. <laughs> Can you listen to this? I went, okay, that's cool. So, uh, yeah, have a listen to it. So, shall we move on to... Uh to uh, thanking Dave to, for doing our audio production. Um, I don't think we've given him too hard a job this week. I think we've done pretty well. Well, you've you've actually managed to stay on the call the whole time, which is nice. Yeah, after some initial problems. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should also mention that Dave is one of our Patreon patrons. Uh, along with, uh, we've got Andy, Maha, Mike and Yannick, who all pledge $1 or more a month. Uh, and so they get their names read out on the show so if you'd like your name read out on the show please pledge a dollar a month or more and thanks uh, awfully to the guys or girls that already do it yeah thanks very much guys you really help and we've got some events i think well i don't think we have because by the time this episode comes out i think it will be odd camp so odd camp's in about Mm. two weeks from now as we as we record as we record this it's two weeks to to odd camp uh i think even if even if uh Dave manages to work his wonders and, and get this out before then. I think I think they're down to the last twenty tickets at camp anyway, so uh, okay. it's gonna be pretty close. So um we're we're looking at doing a live show, maybe there, aren't we? I certainly think we're gonna try it. Yeah, well I was been speaking to Martin Winpress about talking about snaps and stuff, um, from a more of a techie kind of thing and not just like how it works behind the scenes. So we're Alan Pope, hopefully. So hopefully we might be able to get together and do that. But we also might be seeing if it does go out before thing is is that we might have a bit of a catch up. I think it's probably about five or six of us, or other than us, going to be at Odd Camp. I think so. Yeah. So we have a secret password to get into the room or whatever, which we're discussing on the come to Telegram group to find what the password is. Talking of our Telegram group, I suppose we should mention that uh, you can find uh, links to uh, how to get in touch with us, including our Telegram group, which is filled full of the most awesome and lovely people. Uh, all the links are on our admin adminpodcast.co.uk website, and uh, which obviously will be where you've got this uh, this show from. 
there's also email addresses and, and things like that there. So please feel free to come and have a look and uh, get in touch and join us in the Telegram group. Uh, one last thing is that we, we want your questions so that we can uh, attempt to answer them. So please, please keep sending them in via those means that we just mentioned and uh, we'll do what we can to answer them. Um, your, your sort of uh, tech support uh, heroes over here. So give it a go. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, with that, I think we should wrap it up. So uh, thank you very much once again, Lucy. You've been a, an absolute angel and fantastic person to be with us. Thank you. I'll let you buy me a beer next week. <laughs> okay, I'll do that then. And I think, I, think, uh, I think that's it. So thank you very much. See you all soon, guys. Bye for now. Bye. See you later. Bye. Now it's